everybody here and everybody watching online, we all have something in, in common. And I know it's difficult in today's world to find things that we all have in common, but we all have in common, and that's this. All of us, at some point in our life, we've quit something. We've quit something. Um, it, I think back to when I first started playing video games with friends. I'm talking like old school Nintendo, and I had a buddy, and we would play football, and I would always, always, always beat him. And then one day, he just decided to start cutting the game off, and he would just cut the game off. And I would get, I would get mad, and, and he would be like, he would say, I would rather just cut the game off than continue to get beat by you. And I'm like, no, you need to get beat by me. That, that, that makes you, that we're trying to develop perseverance. But he would just quit. But then I started thinking about all the things that I've quit in my life. Um, like, I quit wrestling. Uh, I was on the wrestling team for three days in high school. Um, and I don't know if you wrestled in high school, but the wrestlers in high school are crazy. Because when they first told me about wrestling, I thought, oh, my gosh, it'd be amazing. I'd get my theme music. I'm going to walk in the ring. It'd be amazing. And no, you just run around the gym for three hours until you throw up and you do push-ups and you run more. So I was like, nah, I'm going to quit. Um, so I quit wrestling. Um, how many have ever quit a job? You just quit a job. Take this job and shove it. My little Johnny Paycheck there. Some of y'all don't know anything about a Johnny Paycheck. Um, I walked out on Western Sizzling one night. Hello. I was working in the kitchen. Western Sizzling, it's a, it's a restaurant that existed 487 years ago. But I quit because the manager was mean. I quit. How many have ever quit a diet? Be honest right now. Be honest. Yeah, yeah. By the way, those of y'all that aren't raising your hands, you quit at being fun this morning. That's what you quit at. You are no fun, officially. Um, I, I quit a diet. I, I mean, it's like I'm going on a diet today, and by Monday night, you're like, I got some Oreos up in here. Our Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles screw up a diet quicker than anything in the world. All of us have, have quit something, and then other people have, we've had people quit on us. And, and quitting is, is a pretty serious deal. I mean, some of us, I mean, we can laugh at the quitting, but some of us, um, we've, had, we've quit on a relationship, or we had somebody quit on the relationship. We had a friendship where somebody quit on. I mean, quitting is a part of life. But what I want to talk to today specifically is this. I want to talk to the person who's either in the room or you're either watching online, that the thing you've thought about or wrestled with is quitting on this whole relationship with Jesus thing. I mean, just, just quitting, just walking away. And all of us, all of us, if you haven't at least felt that, either A, you're on drugs, or B, you're not real. All of us have looked at Christianity at some point along our journey and thought, is it worth it? I mean, is it? Really worth it. And so today, I want to talk to the person, or I want to talk to the people that you've recently, maybe you've considered quitting on God or Jesus or the church and just kind of walking away. Or maybe you have quit and you came back, but you're here today or you're watching online and you got both feet on the brakes. Like you are just, you're just kind of holding back. You're not really sure about this whole Christianity thing. I want to let you know that if that's you and you've thought about the whole quitting, I understand. Because four years ago, I personally stood at the crossroads and had to decide, am I going to continue following Jesus or have I wasted my life? It's a question that every one of us probably have dealt with or you're going to deal with it in the future. And I began to list out the reasons that 
that, that, that I could quit, and I began to list out the reasons that I, that I see and I hear most people who have turned their back on God or turned their back on Jesus. And by the way, these are great people. These are great people. They turn their back on God or turn their back on Jesus. And I, I had a list, but I've narrowed it down to four main reasons why people quit. And so, so I want to share these with you today because, because this is where, this is, this is the, this sermon right here, this is real talk. It's about to get real. Y'all ready for it? I had two people are. Everybody else is like, I don't know. I don't know. Am I ready for it? Am I? First one is pain and suffering. Pain and suffering is a major reason that people quit. This, this right here caused me to think uh, pre-corona. You know, we're going to date our life for the rest of that, right? Pre-corona. So pre-corona, I was, in the, I was in Publix doing some grocery shopping, and I needed to pick up a 12-pack of toilet paper, people. Where your mind at? Come on, quit judging me. So I had to pick up a 12-pack of toilet paper because that's how I roll. I get it? That's how I roll. It's a bad joke. That was bad. Anyway, so I, and, and I, began, I was noticing. I didn't understand. I didn't really know what was going on. I noticed the toilet paper aisle didn't have a lot of selection there, but I was like, you know what? I mean, I'm just going to get my little 12-pack here, and I got home, and then, and then the craziness hit, and apparently I missed the memo on the whole toilet paper thing. Um, apparently the world crapped their pants and had to go to the, and get that. So there's no toilet paper. So for a while I was like, I'm good because I got my 12-pack. And at first, y'all remember the days where we used to treat toilet paper while like Will of Fortune? You know, and it was just like rolling it. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm running out. I'm running out and there's no more in the, there's no more in the closet. What can I get? What, what else can I use? I got... I got some paper towels. I got some coffee filters. I got a chance. My dog. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. I'm not, I don't know. So I would, and, and we begin to get nervous because we're running out. We had plenty, but we're running out. We had plenty, but we're running out. That's how it is sometimes in our walk with Christ because every single person, if you're a Christian, you've had a season in your life where you had plenty. Maybe it's right when you met Christ, but all of us have had those, what I call, mountaintop moments where we've had, like, I've got joy, I've got some hope, I've got some peace, you're encouraging everybody, you're telling everybody you can make it, you're giving them a hug, you're giving them a high five, it's awesome. And then, and then, there are those of us, those of us that have gone through the seasons where, like, I'm running out. I'm running out of joy. I'm running out of peace. I'm running out of hope. I've got none in the closet. Pain and suffering are legit. And there's some people in this room that if I were to give you the microphone and let you tell your story, we would weep with you because of what you've gone through. You, you, you lost somebody close to you. And listen, let me just say this. That sucks. Period. I'm, I'm not the pastor that moves in when somebody passes away and goes, well, you know, they just, I mean, I, I, I don't have answers. It just sucks when somebody close to you dies. It absolutely does. And anybody that tries to say anything otherwise, they, they deserve to probably at least turn your back on them, if not a, a punch in the throat. <laughs> I've got issues. I'm in counseling. Some of you, 
some of you that lost, some of you got a medical report about your health and you weren't expecting it. Some of you lost a job. Some of you lost a marriage. Some of you lost money. Some of you lost life savings. Pain and suffering does not discriminate. And there are people in this room that we've gone through intense seasons of pain and suffering in those times. It, it, like, like forget, forget how messed up the world is. Like, you can work, look at the world and say the world's messed up. I, I, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about our world. Our world filled with pain and suffering, and we go, I just, like, with all this pain, with all this suffering, I just don't know if I can continue to hang in there. And let me, l listen, I get it. Because, and we'll get into this in a minute, sometimes we go through pain and suffering, and we meet people that are heavenly-minded, that are, they are no earthly good. I don't know if you know these people. And they'll begin to tell you that the reason that you're going through pain and suffering is because of your sinfulness. And if you would just straighten up your act, you would, you would not have any pain and suffering. In fact, if you would just love Jesus and, and do all the right things, pain and suffering would never come your way. But then the only problem with that is Jesus. If, if our sinfulness means pain and suffering, then how in the world do we explain the crucifixion to Jesus who was sinless and yet experienced pain and suffering. For me, for me, let me tell you, I, I, I hit this roadblock, pain and suffering. Not just once. I mean, I've gone through seasons of it in my life, just like you've gone through seasons in your life. And I realized this, this is the conclusion I came to. It might not be your conclusion, but it's mine. This is the conclusion I came to. Jesus never promised us that we would have a life free of pain and suffering. In fact, he guaranteed it was coming. On the night that he was meeting with his disciples before he was crucified, this is what he told the people that were the closest to him. Don't miss this, because we skip right over, I skipped over this for years. This is what he tells the people that are closest to him. In this world, you will have trouble. Period. He didn't say you might have trouble. He said you will, he didn't say you will have trouble unless you do everything I say to do. Jesus said that in this world, we would have trouble. And not only did Jesus promise that, that we would experience pain and suffering, he walked through pain and suffering so that we could see that there is a way through anything this world throws at us. So for me, for me, for me, I came to the conclusion that pain and suffering is real, but it's not a reason for me to walk away from Jesus. This gets to number two, mistreatment. Everybody here, everybody here has been mistreated. When we get mistreated, we all say the same thing, no matter where we are. I ain't going back to that place. You go to Starbucks and screw up your order, and you're like, I ain't going back. And some of you shouldn't go back because you are a drama queen. If your Starbucks order takes over 30 seconds to order, you should, you should, not, you should be penalized right there because you're drama. You're just pure drama. That should be your name. Uh, grande drama right here, that, that's you. But you, somebody's got your order wrong, and you're like, I ain't going back to this place. And, and the barista's going, thank God, that'd be the best thing in the world if you didn't come back, right? Or you've been in a restaurant, and they messed your order. I ain't coming back to this place. I ain't getting pizza. I ain't going to that store again. I'm not. Like, we've all been there, said that, done that, and we've all said that and done that about church. There's some people that have been mistreated 
in church. Let me make you a promise. If you're at this church for more than two weeks, you'll be mistreated. Not on purpose. I had a lady get mad at me about a couple months ago. She said, you walked right by me and didn't talk to me. I was like, I didn't see you. I was focused on something in the hall, and I was trying to get to it, and it, I didn't, but, but I did. I, I didn't mean to, but I, I mistreated her unintentionally. So if you stay here more than two weeks, let me make you a promise, you will get mistreated, and you will mistreat someone. You will. You will. You'll deal with the day getting out of the parking lot. <laughs> oh, it just got real, didn't it? It just got, I saved it that for this service. I just saved it specifically for this one. Because this is the service I try to get out of the parking lot, too, thinking about mistreating y'all. Um, but we've all got a church story. And, 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 and I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was like, yeah, I quit, I quit going to church when I was eight. I was like, whew, overachiever, didn't even make it to the double digits, right? She said, yeah, she said, but I got a good reason. And um, I always want to hear those stories. You know, because I'm always trying to find, well, you know, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. I didn't have an answer for her. She, she said she went to a church, and, um, and for those of that have been a part of a church for years, and like you've gone through like what I call an old-school building program, if you donated certain amounts of money, they'd name stuff after you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, the, like the John C. Smith Worship Center. Um, that, that, that's some big money right there. Um, like you, you, can, you can have like the, the Sandy Smith Sunday school class, and there's like the little room with a little plaque outside. My dad bought a pew one time. Uh, in fact, he bought two pews, and I was like, ooh, because they were $100 a piece, and my dad's dropping $200 to buy pews in the church, and I was like, man, we ought to sell some chairs up in here. Anyway, I didn't <laughs> put your name on the chair, a little golden thing or whatever. So my friend, her mom and dad, they, they had some money. They had some money. And um, they bought, the, the church built a, a big building. They brought, bought the bridal room. And the bridal room was when one, you know, girl got married. She got to get dressed in the bridal room. They had the mirrors, and the dad came in. They had a little sound system, play butterfly kisses, which I hate that song. But anyway, they could do all that stuff in the room. And they bought the bridal room. And on the outside of the bridal room, it had, we'll just, we'll just make up this name, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson um, in honor of dedication, Mr. and Mrs. Thompson, the Mr. and Mrs. Thompson bridal room. And that's what her parents gave the money to buy for the church. And then her parents got a divorce. And she told me, she said, I never forget when the pastor called my mom and asked my mom, could she come up to the church? So she goes to the, mo- she goes to the church with her mom as an eight-year-old. The pastor meets him, walks him down to the bridal room. She said, I thought it was weird that he had a screwdriver in his hand took the screwdriver, took the plaque off of the wall, gave the plaque to the mother and told the mother he didn't want her back in the church because she had gone through a divorce. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's mistreatment. I mean, that's bad. And there are people in this room, and there are people watching online, you've got some bad church stories. I've got some bad, it, it, it's, it's sad sometimes, that the greatest mistreatment that some of us have ever experienced are at the hands of people that claim they follow Jesus. But Jesus was mistreated by religious people. Why would we think we're the exception? I mean, religious and political people, they're crazy. They killed him. 
So if you know somebody that's deeply religious and deeply political, watch it because they got some rocks in their pocket. Whew, I didn't say that in the last service. That was good. I'm feeling, God, that medicine's wearing off. I'm feeling good right now. Anyway, so, so I, I understand if you've been mistreated. I understand. I understand what that feels like. But for me, it wasn't a reason to walk away. Simply because of how Jesus was mistreated. And if I'm going to follow him, then I've got to follow him sometimes through mistreatment. Now, this next one, this next one is the one that's been the most tense all day. It's the one that's going to get me in the most trouble. Um, and it's the one I'm looking forward to talking about most. This is another reason that people walked away. It's because the Bible says. Have you ever had somebody, like, backhand you, but, but they wrote a scripture verse on it so it was Okay. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Wham! And you're like, okay, well, I, I don't know if that was supposed to help, but kind of hurt like hell. Like, I, 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 think, I don't think that's the way the Bible is supposed to be used. Like, like, they write a scripture verse, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. This is so, so good. And they tie it to the rock, and they hit you in the back of the head with it. And you're like, I, you know what? You can just hold on to your scripture verse for a little while. I've met, and I've met so many people that have walked away from the faith. Because somebody started a sentence and they said, well, you know, the Bible says. Did you know, first of all, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say? You really can. Now, just put my cards on the table. I love the Bible. Love it. I buy a brand new Bible every year and read all the way through it. I highlight it, circle it. I love finding stuff that connects in the Old Testament. I love the maps. Like, I'm dead serious. I love the maps in the Bible. I study those. I mean, I... I know the geography of the region of Israel. Like, I know I, I love the Bible. But I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. The entire Bible is equally inspired. It's not equally relevant. Oh, yeah. You could hear a rat fart in, in this place right here. It just got quiet. It just got quiet. The Bible... <laughs> I don't know what that would sound like. I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm trying to figure that out. It's kind of crazy. You know, I've had people say, well, you know, I've literally had people tell me, I can't be a Christian. Why can't you be a Christian? Well, my pastor told me that the Bible says that i got to believe in a six-day creation in order to be a Christian. No, you don't. Y'all feel the tension? No, you don't. I know God created the world. No, you don't. You weren't here. Well, the Bible says, ah, oh, let's talk about what the Bible says. Because in the Hebrew, which Genesis is written in, it doesn't say on the first day and on the second day and on the third day. It says on a first day and on a second day and on a third day. All I'm saying is the six-day creation is not a hill I'm willing to die on because the Bible's not a science book. It's a history book. It doesn't tell how he did it. It just tells that he did it. And every time I see a sunrise or a sunset, I'm in awe of what he has done. At the end of the day, the Bible says he did it, and it is good, and I agree. Amen. So, so here, let, me, let me kind of push a little bit more on this. If, if we're going to go with what the Bible says, if we're going to go with what the Bible says, and we're going to make that, you've got to believe in a six-day creation, then how in the world do you explain how Christianity took over the world the first 350 years of Christianity, they reached 50% of the known world and didn't even have a Bible. 
The Bible did not make Christianity. Christianity made the Bible. Well, I, I believe the whole Bible. No, you don't. No, you don't. You eating shrimp recently? Anybody eating shrimp? Anybody eating shrimp? Okay. Well, if you believe the Bible and you ate shrimp, you need to get in line after church. We've got to kill you. <laughs> Bible says you can't eat shellfish. Can't eat shrimp. Anybody wearing a anybody wearing a shirt like a it's a like a cotton polyester blend that's made with two different kinds of cloth? Anybody wearing one of those? Because if so, you got to get in that kill line right after the service today. <laughs> Bible says you can't wear too close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. If your parents believe what the Bible says, you wouldn't have survived your teenage years. Because the Bible says if a parent, if a, if a if a kid disrespects the parents, you're to take them to the city gate and stone them. What's what the Bible says? Mm-hmm. So. So if your parents knew everything you did, would you have survived? Uh-uh. Thank God there wasn't social media. They, they got apps now. You can track your kids. I'm like, thank God my dad didn't have that. He's like, where are you going? Jeffrey's house. There wasn't even a Jeffrey. We just made his name up, right? Just that's where we were going. Listen, I, I, I love Scripture, and I believe Scripture, but let me tell you this. The second guy that molested me used the Bible to do it. The Bible says right here this is okay, and the Bible says this right here this is okay. This is Bible. I'm telling you. So if you walked away from Christianity because somebody hit you with a verse the Bible said, and it and it they didn't hit you with it to encourage you or build you up. They were doing it to completely tear you down and attack you. First of all, I am so sorry. But we've got something greater in Christianity than just what the Bible says. And I'll get to it in just a second. Last but not least, the, the reason that people walk away is personal failure. Personal failure, screwed up, messed up, dropped the ball. I was, um, I missed flying because, because when I got to fly, I got lots of illustrations. Lots of illustrations when you're in an airport or on an airplane, tons. And so I, I got on this airplane one time and I was leaving Las Vegas about midnight and I was coming back home, and some of you are like, what were you doing in Las Vegas? And I'm just telling people, what happens in Vegas? Vegas. These are my people. <laughs> I don't play about midnight, and I was sitting in first class. And I always tell that because some people go, oh, it must be nice to fly first class. It is. I hope you get to do it one day because it's amazing. So I'm sitting in first class, and this guy comes on the plane, and I recognize him. But have you ever seen somebody, and you know who it is, but you don't know who it is? You're like, oh, and so he sits right in front of me. Like, I'm sitting on the aisle seat. He's sitting in the window seat. And then his bodyguard comes behind him. Now, his bodyguard is a humongous man. I think he was supposed to be twins. He just didn't split. Like, he is, like, humongous. But no body fat. Like, completely ripped to shreds. About 285 pounds, bald-headed, goatee, and had a smirk on his face. And I'm like, this, oh, wow. He, he sat down in his seat and reclined it, came all the way back in my lap. I was like, my buddy was like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to rub his shoulders. <laughs> Polish his head, make sure it's all right. So 
The plane takes off, and they start talking. I'm looking at this guy. Have you ever, I, I, on a plane, you can kind of peek through the seat a little bit. I'm trying not to be obvious. I'm just like, I know this guy. Come on, I know this guy. I know this guy. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Finally, he re- the bodyguard asked him something, and he reaches for a duffel bag under the seat in front of him. He puts the duffel bag in his lap. He unzips it. He re- reaches in and starts pulling stacks of $100 bills out of the bag, handing it to his bodyguard. And by this time, you know, the seat's like this. By this time, I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> Need me to hold that for you? I got you, bro. It was Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. And I was just like, Floyd, Floyd freaking Mayweather. I've heard a rumor that he carries a million dollars with him everywhere he goes. I can confirm that's true. After that, I decided, you know what? If Floyd can do it, I'm, going, I'm carrying $5 with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and dollar bills, baby, dollar bills, dollar bills. But I, I, looked, I, looked up his, I looked up his record. I was like, I'm, I'm on the plane. I'm Floyd Mayweather. I'm looking up his record. I'm looking up his record. And I'm like, he's undefeated. Never lost a fight. Never lost a fight. And I, I was like, man, I, that is amazing. Like, if I was undefeated, I'd be, I'd be rolling like that too. But then I started thinking about, what's my record as a follower of Jesus? Like, wins and losses. I'm not even sure. I'm 49 years old. I'm not even sure I've had a winning season. I wouldn't want my win-loss record posted. And I definitely can't say I'm undefeated. When it, when, it comes to, when it comes to screwing up, I've screwed up. And it gets to the point where you can, listen, you can beat yourself up so much that at the end of the day, you'll begin to question, why do I do this? Because all I do is screw it up. I hurt myself, I hurt other people. Why do I even do this? It, it, the apostles, the apostles, were, they're, they're the greatest example of this, right? Jesus, we're going to die with you. We'll, we'll go to the end. And then they all scattered as soon as he's arrested. So for me, four years ago, I stood at a crossroads. Pain and suffering, mistreatment, the Bible says, personal failure. And if you're looking for a reason to walk away, all of those reasons are valid. Except for the fact that you can't get past the fact. That Jesus is alive. The resurrection is the reason for the hope we have. The resurrection is the reason I did not quit. The resurrection is the reason I could not walk away. Because at the end of the day, the resurrection is greater than any pain and suffering that I've gone through. The resurrection is greater than any mistreatment I've ever faced. The resurrection is greater than just what the Bible says. And the resurrection is a reminder 
that I can overcome anything in the world. Because if Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus lives in me, that means I can overcome anything or anyone that the world throws against me. And so can you if Jesus lives in you. The resurrection is the reason you can have hope and you can have peace and you can have joy. At the end of the day, he lives. I've been to the garden tomb at least a dozen times or more. And every time I go, it's empty. We celebrate the same thing. Jesus Christ is alive and that's the reason we can have hope. And I love the way Matthew, now Matthew was, Matthew was an eyewitness account. Like he watched all this thing, these things happen. And Matthew says in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew says, on, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, I love that. I love that because Matthew said early on Sunday morning, because Sunday morning was the day of the resurrection, but he wasn't trying to deny that Friday happened. Friday was the crucifixion where all hell was breaking loose. And Saturday was that season of silent where it seemed like God would, was, just went quiet. But Matthew said a new day was dawning. And I, I just somebody needs to hear that you're getting ready to step into a new day season. I'm not going to deny Friday happened. And I'm not going to deny that Saturday sucked. But I'm not also going to tell you that a new day is dawning. And I love the fact that he said Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. And I love that they went in twos. And it just reminded that we can't do life alone. That sometimes we need somebody to step into our life and say, hey, you're going to make it through this and you're going to be okay. Sometimes we've got to borrow somebody else's faith and we've got to borrow somebody else's strength. And that's okay. God gave us one another so we could lean in on one another so, because we don't have to do life alone. He goes on to tell us, suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Because he was like, I ain't missing this. This is, this is epic. I'm, I'm, I rolled the stone away, and I'm going to sit down here and watch it. Thank you very much. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes were was white as snow. Look at this. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Don't miss this. What was in opposition eventually went to a place of submission when the power of God moved into the situation. I don't know what's standing in opposition in your life, but when Jesus moves, what is in opposition has to sit in submission because no weapon formed against us will prosper. I love that. Guards are freaking out. Then the angels spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Oh, he was crucified. It happened. He did. I love the fact that the angel didn't try to sweep it under the rug. I would never try to minimize anybody's pain. The, the pain was real. It did happen. The, the angel wasn't like, oh, let's just be happy and rainbows and unicorns and leprechauns and lucky charms. No, no. He said it happened. It happened. It was legit. The pain, the confusion, the hurt, all of that was very real. I love the fact that God acknowledges it right there in the scriptures. But he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said what happened. He told you five times. He told you five times he's going to do it, then he did it, and you still don't believe it. Watch this. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples. Who? Tell his disciples. Oh, the, the guys that said they were going to follow him, and then they didn't follow him. The guys that failed. 
yeah, yeah, go tell those guys. I'm not picking a brand new, I, I want those guys. I want, I want the guys that, that have some scars. I want the guys that were in the fight. At the end of the day, you want the person that sat in the foxhole with you. I love that. He said, go tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Galilee? Why Galilee? Because that's where it started. Jesus is like, let, let me take you back where it started. Let me, let me take you back to the fact it all started with an empty tomb. Let's, let's go back to that place. He said, you'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. Did you know you can be frightened and filled with joy at the same time? Story of my life. People ask me, how are you? I remember when we opened this church, the Sunday we opened, how do you feel? Awesome and scared. It doesn't mean you're ungodly. It means you're human. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them. Jesus was like, I know y'all talk to the angel, but sometimes he gets a little excited, so I'm just going to show up and just erase all the confusion. Jesus said, and, and, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. The angel said to the disciples, but Jesus said, no, nah, these guys are still my brothers. And if he said that about them, what does he think about us today? Oh, he knew about the failure. He knew about the flop. He knew about the fumble. He loves us anyway. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the reason I follow Jesus. This is the reason for the hope in my life. Because he lives. And because he lives in me, I can overcome anything the world throws against me, and so can you. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, as we take just a minute or two to focus on the fact that you are alive, Jesus, I pray for the person in the room that's undergone pain and suffering, that in the middle of that season right now, God, the mistreatment, the way we've been beat up with Scripture, God, our own personal failures, we would understand that you are greater than any of that. And because you live, we are alive. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection. And I pray that as we focus on that, that you renew our minds and our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.